Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. You know, we're all made unique and individual. There isn't another you anywhere, and there never will be another you ever created. You have your own fingerprint, your own DNA. Now, you could be a twin, a triplet, identical, but you're still you. You're not your brother or your sister. You have your own mind, will, emotions, your own soul, and you answer to God alone. However, you weren't created to be alone. In this body, in this life, we were created to run this journey together. Yes, we do run a race. Paul said, you know, I run the race. I fought the good fight. He talks about finishing strong, running your race. But he's also the one who wrote Corinthians and explained how the body of Christ is connected together and how we need each other. So I wanted just to illustrate a few things um, <laughs> forgive me for using an illustration I used a couple of weeks ago in children's church, but it, it, it was appropriate for today. Um, and so if you have a child who's K through fifth grade, they, they already know this story. It comes out of India where there was six blind men who lived together in a house. Well, every day they heard coming down past their house, down the, the town street, an elephant following its owner and that elephant making the noise that it makes. And the, one of the blind men said to the others, you know what, we've been listening to that elephant every day. Wouldn't it be good if we actually could see it? Since we'll never be able to see it, why don't we go, go use our hands and experience this elephant and, and get an idea of what it really looks like? So that's a great idea, let's do it. So they all went out to the town square and surrounded this elephant and the owner just kind of watched what was going on. Well, each man, as they surrounded this elephant, reached out and grabbed whatever was in front of them. And the man who grabbed the trunk, in surprise, exclaimed out loud, wow, I never imagined that an elephant was just like a snake. That big sound coming out of a snake. The guy next to him is like, what are you talking about? Now he was holding the ear. An elephant is obviously not a snake, it's like a carpet. The guy holding the tusk said, a carpet? A snake, it's more like a spear, guys. Obviously, I don't know how it makes that sound, but an elephant is just like a spear. The guy holding the leg is saying, what is wrong with you? Obviously, an elephant is like a tree. The guy in the back holding the tail says, what is up with you guys? Obviously, an elephant is like a rope. The guy who had his hands on the side says, you guys are all wrong. An elephant is like a wall. Can't you feel it? Well, the owner of the elephant, watching all of this take place, started to chuckle to himself and said, uh, excuse me, gentlemen, if I could have your attention, I want to tell you 
as you argue about what an elephant looks like, that you are all correct and you're all incorrect. Now, you're correct from your vantage point, but you don't have the whole picture. Do this with me, guys. Reach out your hands and hold hands together. And they made a circle around the elephant. Now, I want you to do this. Take two steps to your left. They all took two steps and then stop. Now, reach out and touch the elephant again. And so the man who had the ear is now holding the tusk. The man who had the tusk is now touching the trunk and so on and so forth. And he goes, see, the guy next to you was correct, wasn't he? Oh, I'm starting to get the picture. Now, hold hands again, take two steps to your left. Reach out again. And they did that until all six men made a trip around the elephant and got the bigger picture as they began to share what they were touching, what they were experiencing from their vantage point. As they shared together and cooperated together, they got the bigger picture of what an elephant truly was. It's very much like us, the body of Christ. From our vantage point, we have a perspective on, on the word and on God, but we need each other because you have what I don't have. You have, a, you have revelations of God that I, I need, that I've never discovered. And as I get into relationship with you, I find out how wonderfully creative our God is. He puts gifts into each and every one of us, talents, treasures, if you will, that are yet to be discovered. And as we get to know each other, they get shared with the body. We're stronger and better together than we are separate. That illustration of the tree is correct. One tree does not pollinate very well itself. It needs to be with others. The same way we grow together. Jesus didn't have one disciple. He had 12 for a reason. They grew together they learn together. They experience Christ together. And when he was taken, they, they interacted, they fellowship, and they encouraged one another. And then they went and spread the testimony of Jesus. Now, we are made differently and yet the same. When I say we're made differently, God puts in each of us different abilities and perspectives that's tied to your nature, your, your personality, if you will. And do you ever notice that there can be uh, something unfold in front of a crowd of people? Everybody sees the same event, but they have different perspectives of what just happened. And if they have a chance to share, they can come, across, they come away with thinking, did you see the same thing I just saw? And yet it was just one event. Let me just illustrate this, just to make a point. A man who was asked to bring the communion trays up to the front of the church, you know, the trays with the little cups full of juice, you know, stacked up. He's walking up the center aisle and trips. <laughs> and all of the communion just spilled out and all oh, a big mess right on the floor. 
Everybody in the church saw the same thing unfold, right? Everybody did it in front of everybody. Now I can kind of uh, sideline here, speak from experience about tripping in front of a crowd. I have, <laughs> that's another story for another time, but I did that in uh, Bible college one time and it was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. And I did it up on, well, in front of the whole, the whole student body as one of the most prestigious speakers from England was being introduced so, uh, okay. Anyway, so I can, I can share this story without any malice because I have experience. This one is not as stable as the one before. Sorry, I keep, ignore that. I'm going to not kick that if I can. So the guy spills this, the, the communion juice, right? So everyone in the crowd, everyone in the congregation that is a servant type, you know, the, the ones that love to serve, what do they think of immediately? Hey, there's a mess on the floor. Let's grab a mop. Let's grab a broom. Let's get some towels. Let's get this thing cleaned up. That's what they see. They see the mess on the floor, right? So, well, in the same crowd, there's those administrative types. And they're not thinking about that at all. They're thinking, well, it's a good thing we have a line item in our budget that plans for miscellaneous mishaps like this, and we can afford to clean that carpet next month because it's going to get cleaned. Administrative types, they're real detailed. You know, they notice all the little things. They're the kind of people that sit and think, wonder how long it takes to fill all those little cups with juice, you know. But then you've got the teacher types. The teacher types in the room, oh, they're saying, there's a lesson to be learned here. There's a better way to carry trays full of juice. Before the next communion, we need to have a training session, right? So, but then you've got the prophetic types in the room. When they see that, <laughs> they say, isn't that amazing? It's just so a beautiful symbolic picture of how the blood of Jesus is poured out for us and spilled. The crimson stain is giving me chill bumps. Yeah, they have a different perspective. Then you have the pastor types, and they just say, hey, it's no big deal. Accidents happen. Let's get some more juice and have communion, okay? Then you've got the mercy types that are watching the same thing, and they don't see anything but the poor guy that dropped everything. Will somebody please give that guy a hug? He needs a hug. Just hug him. He feels bad about what happened. So now, which of those perspectives is the correct perspective to have over that same incident? All of them. All of them are valid. Because they all reflect a nature of our Lord and Savior. Our God puts those natures in us, but he's the best of all of them. Can't think of a better administrator than the one who created the universe. Look at creation, how detailed it is, right down to the microbiology level. I mean, you can see the detail of an, a great organized administrator. And then what about the one who is the most merciful of all? He is slow to anger and rich in love. His mercies are new every day. No one flows with more mercy than our God. And the prophetic, he is the word. 
No one speaks like he speaks into being. And even thousands of years before it happens, he'll speak and things happen. He can speak a word and it happens the next moment or he'll speak a word a thousand years ago and it's going to come to pass because there's no one as prophetic as our God. And Jesus, no one was a better servant than him. He said, I didn't come to be served. I come, I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And he is the good shepherd, the pastor of pastors. No one is like our God. And the greatest teacher who ever walked the earth is our Lord and Savior, Jesus. He's the best of all of these, and he gives out his gifts to each of us. And, and we have a part. We have a piece. We are a part, a piece. It says in Corinthians chapter 12, and I, I made reference to this earlier, Paul said, verse, verse 12, chapter 12, for just as the body is one and yet has many parts, and all the parts of the body though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For, one, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews, Greeks, whether slaves, free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one part, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. Well, for it is not for this reason any less part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God, get this, God has arranged the parts. Each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one part, where would the body be? But now there are many parts, but one body. Now, it also said that the eye, now that we are recognizing that we have a part of the body, we are a specific part of the body. We must not become haughty. It says the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the parts of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those parts of the body which we consider less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our less presentable parts become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable parts have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the part which lacked, and here's the kicker, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the parts may have the same care for one another. And if one part of the body suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all the parts rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually parts of it. This is a picture of the church. This is us. You might be uh, function as a hand. These are descriptions. You might function as a foot, as an elbow, but we need you. And it's a joy to discover your function and how you fit into the body of Christ. 
None of us are all the parts. We're just one of them. But we're part, we are needed and valuable. Every finger just hurt one once, and you'll find out how valuable it is. <laughs> I mean, I, over the years, I must have shot millions of nails in building things. Uh, and uh, I like to work with wood, at, but sometimes, very rarely, but sometimes I miss the target. <laughs> I don't hit wood, but I hit flesh. <laughs> and I remember one specific time where I shot a finished nail through my fingertip as I was holding some crown molding, uh, slipped off at the last second, boom, shot, it happens fast. So the nail is, is, is through this finger, stuck into this one, so I pull it out. And, you know, you just go back to work, you wrap it up. But, you know, I'm also, I'm also a piano player, <laughs> okay? So if you have never played the piano or guitar, you realize how important your fingertips are and how much pressure you put on those fingertips. Well, it happened to be a Wednesday when I did that, and, and there was the days when we had Wednesday night services. So <laughs> I was leading worship, and I didn't call out. I said, oh, just go to church and grin and bear it. Well, I... I wasn't grinning. <laughs> Trust me. I, when I played that piano, we played for an hour. I was like, I was in, I, I, oh, I re-injured an injury is what I did. I made it worse. So I, I couldn't sleep the whole night. For days, because I did that, it hurt. But it's just a finger, right? How important that is. Didn't even think about that finger. Use your hands all the time. Don't think about it until something goes wrong. When one part suffers, we all suffer and we share in each other's burdens. That's what Galatians says, 6 2. Galatians 6 2. Bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. Today is a day that we're launching this brand new trimester for our GTs so that we can connect together so that we can get to know one another and connect in relationship and value each other's function. I like how Pastor Matt said, and I did just call him Pastor Matt, even though he says he prefers to be called Matt, and, and he'd said that in his message a couple of weeks ago. He goes, but truly, he's a pastor because he functions as a pastor. He doesn't wear it as a title. It's, it's a description of function, and that's what we need to discover. What's our function in the body of Christ together? Because you're valuable, but you're not made like me. And we might have a different perspective when the tray of juice gets spilled on there, but all the perspectives are God's perspective. You know, they, they come from different angles, but they see the whole picture. Like the blind men needing each other to understand what the elephant truly looks like, we need each other to cooperate, hold hands, let's walk, and walk around that thing until we get the full picture and talk about it. This is what happens in GTs, in our get-togethers. We develop relationships and we get to know each other beyond the surface level, beyond just a hi and goodbye when we see each other on a Sunday morning. We get to really talk and get to know how someone thinks and, and what their needs are and, and what their gift is to the body. We begin to unravel some of the layers Sometimes you don't discover the value of someone if you don't spend the time to get to know them. I, I remember uh, I was working, uh, helping supervise a construction project for a church I was on staff at, and we were building a new addition to, it was a commercial job, building a, a big addition. 
And one of the, the tradesmen that came out onto the job site, um, he was a burly guy, big guy, beard, and he was really gruff. And, he, and right upon introduction, he kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And he was boisterous and loud, and, and he had lots of things to say and lots of opinions, and he was just very verbal and very kind of like emotional when he does it and talks. And, and I just got the wrong impression of this guy. And, you know, the more I got to know him, the more I found the most gentle soul, the most compassionate man, uh, the most giving guy that I met. And, and we became such fast friends. He was my best man at our wedding, and I was the best man at his wedding. Um, but it took a while to get to know him, to get under the layers and, and find out his heart. There's an illustration I've used in the past and to explain this, how, the value. A king wanted to find out what the subjects of his kingdom were made of. So he said, I'm going to do an experiment. And he had a large stone dragged out onto the king's highway. And he left it there. And then he hid himself in the bushes just to see what his subjects would do as they come by the stone. And he watched. The first guy to come by was one of the king's soldiers. And he was in his bright new crisp uniform with his shiny sword hanging down. And he was thinking of all the valiant things that he would do in battle whenever they go and face the enemy. He didn't even see the stone. He just had his head up in the air. And he was thinking of all oh, his self-importance. And he trips over this, this huge stone and falls and gets his uniform all dusty and dirty. And he gets up cursing. What lazy fellow left this stone in the highway? And he's like, they should move this stone. What's wrong with these people leaving stuff like this? Somebody could get hurt. And he goes down the road just complaining. Well, the next person to come by was a farmer. And he was, had his oxen in there pulling a cart. And the oxen trips over the sun. Who put this stone in the, these lazy town folk? Why would they ever leave a stone just laying there in the middle of the road? And he complained and went around the stone. Everybody that went past the stone that day, the king observed, just complained and talked about how someone should get rid of that stone. If only someone wasn't so lazy around here, this stone wouldn't be here. And they all just kept right on going. Well, at the end of a, the, the day, it was dusk, and the miller's daughter, who was grinding grain all day long, 12-hour shift, came home was heading home and saw this large stone in the road. And she said to herself, oh, this isn't good. It's getting dark. Someone could fall and hurt themselves. If this stone isn't moved, this could be, someone could get really injured. I've got to get that stone off the road. And even though her body was tired from using her muscles all day, she tugged and pulled and used sticks and levers and leverage, all she could do, and dragged and inch by inch got that stone off the king's highway. Came off the side of the road, brushed herself off, walked back on the road and didn't notice, but lo and behold, where the stone was, was a hole. And she went over to the hole and looked, and inside the hole 
was a chest. She opened it up. It was full of gold coins. And there was an inscription on the lid. This chest belongs to the person who moves the stone. Now, people are like that. That road with the stone on it. At first, you, you can't judge people by your first impressions of them. Sometimes to find the treasure that's deep inside, you got to move some things. You got to uncover some layers. You got to work. You got to take some time. It's worth it because each person is made special in the eyes of God and has a treasure. And they're part of the body that's important. We need to unlock those treasures that are deep within each of us. And it's only done through relationship. If we stay tied to the Lord, in, like the men were saying, about pursuing God with all of your heart, but not alone, all by yourself, arm in arm, brother to brother, sister to sister, we can discover the treasure of each of us and how we were fashioned and value each other even more than we ever did before. That's all I really wanted to share. Jesus did, Jesus did pray for us that his body would be unified. And that can't happen without spending time together. John chapter 17, he prayed that prayer. Father, I pray for those that will believe the message, talking about his disciples, that they preach to, those that become believers in me, that they will be one as you and I are one. That's going to happen. There isn't a prayer that Jesus prayed that isn't gonna be answered. He prayed for the unity of his body. He prayed it and it's gonna happen, but it doesn't just happen by accident. It's purposeful. What did the, the disciples do when Jesus left? They have followed his instructions and they waited in, in, the, in Jerusalem. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and that's when the fun began. And the book of Acts is what we're going to be covering in this trimester at GT's. And it says, I'll close with this scripture, Acts 2, 46, 47. Day by day, the disciples continued with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. They continued in one mind, meeting together. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.